0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the Elephant in the Room podcast here with the Georgetown University College Republicans. Today, I have a very special guest joining me, um, somebody who I've always looked up to since I've been uh, here in my second semester here in Washington, D.C., and uh, he's from a great organization. That uh, I think really needs to get uh, talked about more here at Georgetown, I think is a great opportunity for any one of our members. So without further ado, joining me is Sarab Sharma, the president of American Moment. Sarab is also the co-host of their podcast, The Moment of Truth, so I definitely recommend checking that out after listening to this episode. He's also the former chairman of the Young Conservatives of Texas and a nationally recognized activist. Sarab so is a proven talent at organizing and inspiring young conservatives to impact public policy. So, Sarab, so thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing?
1: Uh, it's my pleasure to be here, Ian. And I'm doing great. Um, it's the first time I've been back on a college campus. It feels like in a little while, and <laughs> I'm having sort of schizophrenic breaks with reality, and that's fine.
0: <laughs> Especially during final season.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I, uh, I it's only been a couple of years since I graduated myself. I graduated in 2019 from UT Austin, but it's still just it feels so different. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't even know how to begin to explain it. Um, you know, to to sound like a an old man, like, enjoy your time in college, guys, because uh, uh, it's basically the best that life gets for young people. Afterwards, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I could imagine and a lot of us here at Georgetown are uh, a lot really gunning, I think, to get into the our careers, but I think it's definitely true that we need to uh, enjoy our time here at Georgetown, whether we uh, do it through internships, through enjoying our classes. But let's uh, dive right in into... Uh, your organization American Moment. What were your motivations for starting uh, American Moment and what goals did you originally have?
1: Sure. So depending on how old your members are, um, they may or may not have been fully politically conscious during the Trump administration, watching what happened over the course of the four years of that administration. But the story is is both simple and sad. Um, the mandate that President Trump was elected on in 2015-16 was one based on, I would say, four key concepts. Uh, one, uh, End the endless wars. Two, fix the trade deals. Three, shut down the border, immigration, legal and illegal. And four, actually fight the cultural enemies um, on the left that the right has been weak towards for the last 50 years. Um, Those four themes were... Sublimated into a pretty standard GOP agenda for the four years that he was in the White House. We got some very good things like on trade and we did secure the border. um, But all that was ultimately undone by Joe Biden. And the main reason why this happened, I think, is because there weren't enough people in the White House in Congress supporting the president's agenda, helping him implement an America first agenda. So American Moment was founded in order to solve that problem. Starting at the most junior levels, we create the kinds of people who will go on to staff pres presidential administrations, to staff public policy organizations and to staff congressional offices. And that's the context under which you and I met, you've participated in some of our programming as you've been an intern on Capitol Hill. And it's the context under which I hope to meet a lot of the members of your chapter and other Georgetown kids is, if you believe in the America First agenda, and you want to get involved in a substantive way, come to us, we'll help make that happen. Um, But we've existed for a little over a year now publicly, we've been building the organization since April of 2020. Um, That process was nerve wracking. Uh, It's it's a challenge every day, but I have the best job in DC. And I have uh, more fun than I deserve uh, getting to do something um, not that many years out from, from where your members may be now. Uh, ultimately, one of the benefits of living in such a decrepit political system that's so full of boomers past their prime is that uh, young, entrepreneurial, capable people are able to uh, have an asymmetric advantage. And if they have the wherewithal to get something new built and get something new done, they can do so. Uh, the challenge is just making sure you're, you're set up in order to do so.
0: Yeah, excellent. And what are some of the opportunities that you provide for Georgetown students who want to get involved.
1: Sure. So it looks a little bit different depending on what stage of your career it's in. Most practically, it's come meet with us and we'll try to help you get an internship if we believe you share our values. After you graduate, it might be that we help you get a job. It might be that if you'd like to drop out, I'll help you do that and get a job right away. Um, but once you're a junior staffer in DC, we do educational programming um, to to help you develop policy area expertise. Um, we help uh, you get your second and third jobs in terms of helping you get promoted faster eventually trying to to run you up to the chain so that you can make a real impact um in in 2025 or or even before that um uh, in this uh new congress when when that'll probably flip um so concretely it's uh you know come to us we'll we'll vet you and decide if we like you and then uh train you in what you need to know and help provide the connections you need in order to succeed um but at the end of the day it's uh it's an organization built to ruthlessly advocate for the interests of young people that share our values uh, because we just felt like there wasn't anyone doing that here in D.C.
0: Fantastic. And one thing that uh, I really had the honor of attending was the Up From Chaos uh, event uh, with the American Conservative uh, in downtown D.C., couple months ago with an incredible slate of speakers who I think are really upcoming in the Republican Party and the conservative movement. And what do you see for them moving forward in the sense of uh, this new right that's emerging? And where do you see that playing out moving forward?
1: Sure. So the Up From Chaos conference, this was a conference American Moment did in partnership with the American conservative on, uh, I think it was like, March 31st. 31st. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, It it feels like an eternity ago at this point. (laughs) Uh, It was designed to respond to what felt like the agitation by warmongers in D.C. to go to war in Ukraine. Um, You know, The right has changed a little bit on foreign policy over the last uh, couple of years, and we felt like that change was at risk of evaporating in thin air. And so we hosted Up From Chaos conserving American security to put a flag in the ground and say, no, uh, we are not going to go to war in Ukraine. We're not going to go to war anywhere. Right now is the era where we need to be focusing on the challenges we have at home we need to be fixing our trading relationships rebuilding the middle class and focusing on the cultural divides that face the country um and we were very lucky to to have a fantastic speaker lineup people like uh uh, soon to be hopefully senator jd vance uh, senator Rand paul thomas massey matt rosendale dan bishop um joe kent um, lots of really exciting up-and-coming figures uh on the um, american right and so uh the purpose of the conference was was to put that flag in the ground, and, and seeing the subsequent fallout has been has been good. I mean, we've now put the neocons on the back foot. There was a a neocon conference that happened a couple of days ago, and there were less than fifty people there because um, it's just not where the mood is at, and the way that those people traditionally exercised control was elite control. Um, but now more and more people are are rising up, and so. Just today, as of taping, uh, there was a vote last night uh, on a, a $40 billion aid package to Ukraine, uh, and 57 Republicans voted against it. That feels like it would have been unheard of 10 years ago, certainly five years ago. Um, and uh, and two of our speakers, or actually all three of our members of Congress that were speakers, uh, voted against it. Thomas Massey, Matt Rosendale, Dan Bishop was really proud of them for taking that bold vote. It's easy to get fancy speeches. It's a lot harder to vote right when the time comes. Um, but- that's really what we do is that, you know, because of the relationships we have with personnel, because of the worldview that we have, we're able to put on cool programming like Up From Chaos, and we hope to do do more of it in the future.
0: Yeah. And then how would you put American Moment, what do you think distinguishes American Moment from any other conservative organization uh, in Washington, D.C.? So if you're conflicted, you want to do maybe American Moment, maybe uh, a place like AEI or the Heritage Foundation, what... How would you pitch it to Georgetown students to say America moment should be on the top of your list?
1: Well, if if you have this agenda, if you believe in the America first agenda, we're basically the only game in town. There's lots of great organizations in D.C. Many of them staff with good, well, good, well-meaning conservatives that I love. But at the end of the day, there's no organization other than ours that has cohesively this agenda um, from page to page. Um we're also not a think tank. I mean, you're not gonna come here to go intern in the, the Immigration Studies Department at the Center for Greatness at American and Moment. That's not a thing. What we do is we help advance your career through other organizations, through congressional offices. And so you'd come to us and we'd help place you, we'd help train you, we'd help uh, provide you the resources and connections you need in order to succeed. We're not really, uh, the place that many of you will work. In fact, you know, uh, I, I doubt any of you will, because we only have three people, four people on staff and maybe, you know, one or two more later this year, but that's it. Um, and so, uh, you know practically what getting involved looks like. It, it Sometimes it involves getting, uh, coming to uh, AM Fridays, which is the program you've participated in. Those are Friday lunches we do with interns and junior staffers on Capitol Hill. We bring in speakers. It may partic- It may mean uh, participating in one of our credentialing courses, which is a 10-week certification course we're doing on foreign policy right now, one night a week. We bring in foreign policy experts. Next one will probably be immigration. After that, economics. Who knows? Um, following that, uh, you might end up coming to a conference um or you might end up uh, uh if you really end up taking a specific track doing our fellowship for American Statecraft which we're I believe sending out um uh acceptances today uh literally as we're speaking I think my coo is sending out the acceptances that's a program where we pay people $3000 a month to get their first job in DC it's designed for mostly graduating seniors or people who have already graduated or maybe in some cases juniors but it's really designed like if you for whatever reason have a hard time breaking into the job market in DC uh, we're here to help now Georgetown kids necessarily going to be the best fit for that? Probably not. You guys are already living in D.C. You guys are going to elite school. You have a lot of connections. Um, But basic point is is that we're here to help. And so whatever way that someone needs help, whether it's the right connections, whether it's the right training, whether it's understanding more about how to think about uh, worldview questions from our perspective, uh, that's what we help with.
0: Excellent. And as you mentioned, a lot of the new policies um, that America Moment is really striving to change in D.C. and really ref rewrite what the conservative movement has been traditionally for many, many decades. But where do you see the conservative movement going in the long run? Is this just going to be a phase uh, in the conservative movement and eventually we'll go back to what we were? Or do you think this is permanent? And how do you think it will keep evolving from here? Sure.
1: I um, I have a standard riff, which is that there are two false paths. Um, one is uh, boomerism, boomerism. Um, The idea that, oh, the moral arc of the universe is long. It bends towards justice. Everything will be fine because the American people believe in liberty and we have a silent majority and blah, 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 blah. That is childish. Um, There is no reason to believe that victory, saving the country is guaranteed. Um, But the other thing that is also not true is what I call doomerism, which is the idea, oh, all is lost. The left's gains are too high. They have too much institutional control. Give up on America. We're not going to save the country. Political solutions will not save us. No, I would argue that we're basically somewhere in between. It'll be the individual actions of young people who sacrifice um, uh, real prestige and treasure to, to make a difference over the next 10 to 15 years that'll determine if there'll be a country at all um, for uh, us and our kids. Um, That's a very different approach and mindset than, say, uh, your grandparents may have had. For them, being involved in politics was, oh, how do I create an America that's great for my grandkids? Uh, We'll be lucky if we're allowed to have grandkids, frankly, um, the way this regime is going. And so we we think about it from that perspective is... um, you know the the case for being involved, and the reason to be involved is because we're 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 somewhere in between right now, and that that applies to the conservative movement as well. There's no reason to believe that America First is going to win uh, uh, by default, and there's no reason to believe that the neocons will take over again by default. It'll take hard legwork. It takes replacing and, and reviving the organs of the conservative movement that decayed, that can help champion this agenda. It means pushing people to be better. It means creating incentive structures for people who might be on the fence to do the right thing. Um, it's long, arduous work, but political paradigm shift has to be. There's no other way to do it. Uh, and so that's, that's really the way we think about the long-haul fight is how do we set up the political paradigm in the country to to make it do the things that we want.
0: Yeah. And uh, one of the big, I guess, points you get from uh, a lot of the people who are like election strategists is looking at states like Arizona, like Georgia, like Texas, and saying, well, look how the left is gaining in like the DFW in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the Atlanta suburbs, and in uh, the Phoenix suburbs. How would you respond to that? Would Uh, Are the gains that are being made uh, by Republicans in the America First movement in the Midwest, so Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Iowa, um, strong enough to deter that? Or do you think that the America First agenda will eventually take a stronghold in places like Arizona? I know that there are a lot of strong candidates running for the governorship there and the Senate, uh, as well as Texas in particular.
1: Yeah, I think that there's there's two sides to this. One, part of the reason these states are slipping is a downstream consequence of policy uh, for a couple of reasons. One, when you have a governor like Governor Abbott in Texas who goes around panhandling to the biggest Fortune 500 companies in the world saying, please move your entire workforce here, you know, that's going to result in uh, people uh, moving there who don't share Texas values. Um It also is a downstream consequence of, say, immigration policy. Mass immigration uh, causes people to to vote left. Um, It's a downstream consequence of our trade and economic policies because by creating an economy that's fake, that's really just people sending emails at each other, um, as opposed to an economy that's tied to the ground where people actually build things and make things, we're encouraging people to flock towards urban areas that are very good at turning people liberal. Um, So winning on the policy agenda now creates political circumstances that are better for us down the line but there is the empirical reality of uh of the situation right now and 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 this is actually the case for why we should triple down on the America first agenda not just double down is because the only way we can survive right now is by getting those midwestern states there is no way to win elections unless you keep ohio which is basically safe right at this point and get pennsylvania michigan wisconsin and um, What am I forgetting? What's the third one? Minnesota. There we go. Um, And so we should advocate for an agenda that champions the interests of the people in those states, so that we can we can win elections. And if we end up having to lose Texas, fine. Georgia, fine. Whatever. Um, If the choice is between the working class majority of this country that actually builds things and sustains the prosperity that we all benefit from, over like over educated knowledge workers with you know two degrees and resentment towards the world because they're unmarried childless you know porn and weed addicted cat ladies fine like I, i i'll pick i'll pick the working class majority in this country any day of the week um and so that's that's the cause for 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 optimism is i think that by changing material reality uh of the policies we we advocate for we can make our own luck when it comes to to politics um but we have to do it fast, otherwise they'll they'll win too much, and hope will be lost.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I know a lot. One figure in particular, who's currently in elected office, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, is creating a lot of noise uh, with a lot of things he's he's done. For I'd say the more culture war issues, you saw he uh, stripped Disney of their special tax privileges. He he's um, implemented the parental rights and education bill, unlike what the left likes to call it. Um, how do you think these kind of uh, policy steps that Governor DeSantis is taking, albeit he's not he was never seen as necessarily the most America first candidate? I know Trump, President Trump endorsed him in the Florida uh, primary and that ultimately got him the nomination and thus the governorship. How does that uh, set an example for other governors and is there are there even upgrades that are upcoming?
1: I think Governor DeSantis is the best governor in America and it's not particularly close. Um he's not perfect, no one is, but he has made his own luck. This is actually a very good example of the concept I was just talking about. Uh Ron DeSantis won by like four thousand votes by a vanishingly, vanishingly tiny of votes uh the world would look different i think if he had lost his election that's how singularly important a figure i think he was um but he didn't lose he he won and he took the political mandate that he had and he used it to win more um and this is this is historically what republicans are very bad at is they they take their political mandates and they kind of mess around, they don't really use them, and then they do something really unpopular like massive tax cuts for corporations, and then they have no capital left and they just kind of wait out their time and say, please reelect me, otherwise the socialist left is going to come after us. Ron DeSantis was bold from day one. He he governed in a different way and he basically uh brought the Florida legislature along with him. And every day he's able to do more right wing, more awesome stuff because he's proven himself to be an effective leader that does very popular things, gets rewarded for it, and can, you know, take that currency he has and turn it into more very popular things that he's going to be rewarded for. Um, Ron DeSantis is probably the closest thing to a a politician in America that would make me proud to identify with the term Republican. Um, There's not really many that I think uh, rise to that level. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot of governors take Ron DeSantis as an example. I think that might change in the uh upcoming uh gubernatorial elections in a couple states there's there's some good candidates you have folks like uh Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, Carrie Lake in Arizona, a couple other candidates that are running here and there. We'll see how many of them win. But I think Ron's kind of unique because he 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 again um he made his own luck um and he uh is 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 great and I, I hope he wins re-election and I think he will. Um but but that's the model for what life in red America should look like, is life under Ron DeSantis. I mean, Florida has become this like mecca for conservative causes over the last few years, because uh, when the world was locked down, when you could go nowhere, it was the one place where you could still host big events, you could still do things Um, even AOC went there even AOC went on vacation there (laughs) I mean I think I think DeSantis himself had a fun riff recently where he was like if I had a nickel um for for every uh lockdown politician that has gone on vacation in my state I would never need another cent that's accurate (laughs) um at the end of the day people flock to 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 good just ordinary free life and that's what Florida has represented in a world gone increasingly mad
0: yeah, and the strength he used during the redistricting process I think was particularly notable. I know the the, the Democrats have been really screaming over the new Florida map saying, oh, it's gerrymandered, um, yet they have mon- uh, monstrosities like the one in Illinois, and then they say they the party of free maps, uh, free and fair yeah, maps. Yeah, when
1: Democrats do gerrymandering, it's called uh, the Voting Rights Act. When Republicans do gerrymandering, it's called gerrymandering.
0: Yeah, and of course you did see uh, – some big legal victories for the republican side in that uh field with maryland and new york uh having to ch- redraw their maps to make at least more competitive districts or more republican leaning districts um how do you think having more safe states because that's universally seen as a byproduct of this redistricting redistricting cycle is going to have on the candidates that are then being put forward for congress and the ability to really have a strong governing working majority.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's ultimately a wash. You know, when you have a hyper Republican district, the way it typically shakes out is like a bunch of rich people get in because they think that like all I need to do is spend a ton of money, run to the right, and I can win this district and then govern like a loser rhino. When it's a super competitive district, it's always challenging because it's. Um, you know, it becomes like the focus of the NRCC. And it's like, oh, we have to have just the right candidate. And it's usually someone picked for identity characteristics. One of the memos that the NRCC put out last year was, we're only looking for women, minority, and veteran candidates. And I think that's one of the most absurd things in the world. Are we just doing identity politics light on the right? Um, It's embarrassing. But, you know, it ends up being a very contrived and controlled process with the campaign being just managed by these external vendors. Um, So, you know, if all sequel i think i'd prefer kind of an ecosystem of of kinds of districts you know some swing districts some kind of moderate r districts and some heavy i think that you get interesting characteristics and consequences from from all of that ultimately i think though it's like gerrymandering is a political fight always has been always will be and anyone pretending otherwise who thinks that you can have an objective quote-unquote objective process is uh you know needs to get their nose out of whatever thumb sucky political science book they've been reading um so we'll see how this all ends up shaking out the cycle. I, I think that there's going to be such a red wave that it's ultimately going to wash over like all the way up to D plus five districts. Certainly any district, the Biden only won by five. I would be terrified if I was a Democratic candidate right now. <laughs> um, but we'll see. It's hard to say. I mean, I kind of want the majority we get to be not that big because that'll give the conservative guys an opportunity to wield a little bit more power, but- At the end of the day, you don't win by losing. Uh, You never win by losing. And so I hope we win and we we win big.
0: Yeah, definitely. And one big step forward, I think, to winning was the big Ohio Senate primary. We saw J.D. Vance win that uh, election, a very contested race with a lot of other people who they were all vying for trump's endorsement they were all vying to be the most trumpian candidate but jd vance ultimately won why do you think that was uh ultimately why do you think the voters of ohio particularly in appalachia and in northeastern ohio where we have seen a lot of union or uh blue dog democrats become you know trump populist republicans i think there's a couple
1: reasons one um voters are not stupid and people would like people to think voters are not stupid uh, or b- people would like to think that voters are stupid. No, voters are smart. Uh, and they ultimately rejected the silly versions of MAGA that were on offer, whether it was the like girl boss feminism version of MAGA or the like, I'm just going to say the nuttiest thing I could come up with version of MAGA. No, they wanted they wanted someone who's actually articulating concrete policies. That was JD. Uh, two, I think JD just has a charismatic personal story that and a tie to Ohio that none of the other candidates can can match. Um, he is the Trump electorate in so many ways, and so I think that's another reason. Um, three, I mean, President Trump's endorsement is. Gold at the end of the day in a state like Ohio—that's MAGA country right there—and mm-hmm. getting that endorsement really helped make what I think would have been a very tight race a much much more of a blowout, all things considered. Uh, and JD had so much money spent against him. Anyone who thinks that JD had like the financial advantages this race is doesn't know what they're talking about. He had more money spent against him than any other candidate maybe than all the other candidates combined i think that was the official number probably had like 40 million all told spend against him something crazy like that um it, and i and i think when all the when the powder dries on this this will be the most expensive senate campaign in american history um that's that's what it's going to be um so i think i think those are the reasons jd won and I'm, I'm very glad he's on our board of advisors at american moment he's a personal role model a hero someone i'm lucky to call a friend um He's going to change the way American politics is done. The J.D. Vance Senate candidacy is one of those things where someone looking to get get an early start on their history book of the 2020s in the United States and potentially this entire century um, should start, start looking the pen and start writing now. Um, that's partially why I think there's going to be a lot of people coming after him over the next few weeks and months because I think the left will do anything they can to... Let, to make it so he doesn't get that seat. I do not think they will succeed.
0: I mean, yeah, as you said before, Ohio is more of a safe red state. I mean, Trump won it by nine percentage points, if I'm not mistaken, in both 2016 and 2020. So um, definitely an uphill climb for Democrats in a blue in a red wave year, even in a blue wave, a blue wave year that I would think that they'd struggle to win Ohio. But um, with J.D. Vance, if uh, God letting. He becomes the next senator of the great state of Ohio. He would become, in my view, the first truly authentic America First senator. I mean, Josh Hawley's great on a lot of issues, but J.D. Vance has explicitly run on America First and has said a lot of bold things that a lot of people were afraid to do, especially in that race. Like He stood up for um, Marty Taylor Greene and a lot of other members of Congress who are very controversial and said that there needs to be—that the left— has to be stopped in a lot of these ways. And we need to reform the Republican uh, Party and the messaging and the platform in many different ways. Do you think this will start a domino effect of J.D. Vance-like candidates and other Senate races across the country, not only in this cycle, but in future cycles? I think there's
1: three ways that 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 happens. First is that it's gonna encourage more America-first-minded people to run the first place because it's clear that they can win. Two... It'll discourage neocons from running because they're going to think that, man, I just you can't win it. There's too much MAGA in the party, which is good. And three, the people who are not ideological at all, which is most politicians, they're going to realize that if I want to win, I have to be America first. So entryism is a sign of victory. You have to manage it, but but that's ultimately, I think, going to be the, the outlay. Um, in terms of this cycle, obviously, I'm, I'm very excited for my friend Blake Masters. I hope he does uh does very well in arizona i think there's a slate of great congressional candidates joe kent anthony sabatini john gibbs um patrick was running for congress he's now running for Georgia insurance commissioner um i think there's there's some senators who i think are going to surprise us with how good they are i think i think adam laxalt will be a good senator um uh, i think uh I think that, you know, Herschel Walker might be a good senator. Um, we'll see. I don't know them personally. I don't know them as well, but um, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this cycle and there will be whether um, the penumbra of one or an actual, you know, listed one, there will be an America first caucus uh, in the, the house and Senate um, by this time next year. Uh, and it will change American politics. Um, we, our faction has a plan for what needs to be done to save the country. And it's not just opposing what the left does, that's obviously part of it, but it's fundamentally changing the way that politics is done in this country and the policy consensus in Washington. Um, JD is going to be the tip of the spear for that, as are many of the rest of them. It's going to be a really exciting time. It's a really exciting time to be in politics, especially if you think this way. If you're an avowed neocon, then, you know, sucks to suck. I'm sorry. Cry <laughs> cry harder. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, but but there's, there's reasons to be optimistic ahead.
0: Yeah. And speaking of Blake Masters, he's somebody that I've been looking at for a long time in that race. And my cousin lives in Arizona. So Alexis and Josh, if you're listening to this, um, please pay attention to your big Senate race and your gubernatorial race. Cause they're very important for our country moving forward. But, um, in Arizona, how does that translate from Ohio? Cause I know JD Vance had that big win in Ohio. How does the game change in Arizona, a state that was, that is been called a lot by neocons as the beacon of mccain republicanism and the and a state that trump lost because he wasn't he picked the fight with john mccain
1: yeah i mean i think people over extrapolate this stuff um john mccain did dirty tricks every campaign he ran to make sure that he never had credible challengers i I, look I, i think at the end of the day there are some things that make the arizona electorate different they look for sort of people with an independent streak in whatever direction that might be blake certainly fits that profile so does kirsten cinema in her own way right um i think they're gonna like a younger candidate it's a younger state um but i think in such a wave year i think any any republican has a fair shot but i think of the republicans blake has the best shot because he's the most charismatic the most capable um candidate and uh, and i think i think he'll do very well it's it's just—it's going to be a real general election. Obviously, the Democrats are going to spend a hundred million dollars um, to keep Mark Kelly in, and Mark Kelly sucks, and uh, he has bad voting record, and he has not been independent like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, and so he's going to have a real tough race ahead of him, and I think he's going to lose. Um, but it's going to need—it's going to take Blake to to make him lose.
0: Exactly, and um, of course, we see Blake Masters having events with former President Trump. Does that uh, entail a similar? story as, as jd vance i mean the polling shows him i think in third a trafalgar poll had him at like 20 percent, 21 percent, which given his lack of being in office unlike mark Burnovich, who's the incumbent attorney general and uh, i forgot who the other front runner is in that race um jim layman jim layman exactly uh they they've been spending a ton of money in that race and and blake masters backed by peter teal has not spent as much money. Do you think that should Trump endorse him and then him put, and then Blake Masters, of course, putting out that huge ad blitz or using that money for his campaign funds would represent a steamroll? Like we're, we're seeing Carrie Lake dominate the primary polling at like four, north of 40% now. It seems very clear she'll be the nominee. Do you think uh, Blake Masters taking that kind of Trump endorsement, having the money, spending it, will put him in a similar position to Carrie Lake?
1: i think the president likes blake masters we'll see if he ends up endorsing i hope he does i think he um he knows that blake's the best candidate in the race that you know these things happen in their own time uh, down at the winter white house mar-a-lago um but i hope it happens and i hope it happens soon um you know the uh, i think it's shocking how poorly layman and bernovich are doing given all the baked in advantages that they have layman spending Oodles and oodles of his own money, and Bernovich being a statewide elected office holder. The fact that the the Trafalgar poll that you mentioned, which is not even the best poll that exists for Blake, had them at 24, twenty four, twenty four, nineteen, uh, with with Layman and and uh, Bernovich at twenty four, and then Blake at nineteen. That's incredibly exciting because, um, you know, the, those that means that Trump endorsement happens. Blake. He immediately, was put over uh, the edge, but also even without. I mean, again, Blake's just getting started, and the fact that these people with all these baked-in advantages are doing so poorly—they uh, should just uh, quit right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that'd be good. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be an exciting time, um, but uh, you know these, uh, you know. T- be tweeting at President Trump be telling him to endorse Blake Masters uh, every little bit helps um, and uh, and let's hope that 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 President Trump comes in because I think that'll that will really seal the deal
0: yeah and uh, of course Twitter now being bought by Elon Musk a lot of uh, liberals are, are leftists quite frankly're going crazy seeing that they cannot express their opinions anymore because the right <laughs> is not going to be censored as much What impact do you think of uh, President Trump being? put back on Twitter could impact Republican campaigns, whether that be for this cycle or even for 2023 when Kentucky and Louisiana will have their uh, gubernatorial elections that are currently Democrat incumbents. Like, Do you think that will shift the dynamic because President Trump has been relatively quiet, uh, especially for the Virginia gubernatorial election? I know that he, Glenn Youngkin kept him at his arm's length, still won in his governing, I think, as much more Uh, MAGA Republican. And I think he led on in his campaign and a lot of Virginians expected him to be, which I'm not complaining about, but he's, I think, certainly risen to be one of America's top governors uh, in the span of less than a year. And he's in in Virginia, which is a state that Biden won by 10 points. Um, But how do you think that uh Trump getting more of a voice out there given that's typically seen as his weakness, his Twitter account, especially for independents and moderates who could swing uh key swing races one way or another
1: Yeah. Um It's a little bit hard to say just because rephrase your question for me.
0: Yeah. Is that um with Glenn Youngkin winning with a more quiet Trump on Twitter. Yeah. He wasn't able to like, tweet out that he loved Glenn Youngkin like he had in uh, 2020 and in other cycles where he really showed admiration. Yeah, yeah so
1: so I mean, I, 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 I think that the effect of Trump's Twitter is is not just, you know, his endorsements. I think it goes much beyond that. I, it, it's, it's easy to forget because it feels like so long ago. But when Trump was on Twitter, literally the entire news cycle revolved around his tweets. He could fundamentally change everything being discussed on television on social media uh, and elsewhere instantly all the time and so i don't know how it would cut in terms of republicans um, advantages or disadvantages i do think that system-wide big tech censorship is designed to elect fewer republicans that is obvious Uh, google has practically admitted it at this point Um, But in the narrow case of just trump i think you know it emboldens a lot of voters it excites them does it turn off some moderates maybe i don't know uh midterm elections are really all about turnout at the end of the day and what do you want mean tweets or do you want seven dollar gas that's really the choice i'd put before every middle-class suburbanite that that finds him a little bit brash i personally love the way the president trump style is i think it's a lot of fun um and i think that he his instincts are at the end of the day, the most powerful resource America first has, his instincts are gold. And you just need to set up the world around him so that his instincts are operative. Um, So uh, him being back on Twitter means he'll be more in touch with the base again. He'll be able to see the messaging coming out. He'll make fewer bad endorsements, more good ones, and advance the right policies.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you in uh, in that regard. And one other question that's been at the top of my mind is, As you mentioned that the having a smaller Republican majority might impact, um, may allow more conservative members to influence um, policy and what's being debated on the House floor. What role? How do you see them being more effective leaders? Like right now, we see members of Congress like Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, be huge social media stars. On the right, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you just have to say her initials, MTG, and pretty much every American knows who she is. How do you think members of Congress like her will translate to a governing majority uh, once Republicans have more than 218 seats?
1: I love Marjorie, and I hope that she holds the Republican conference accountable. Um, The thing I trust her and people like Gates and Boebert and, and others to do is to be the last people... To just go along to get along. There's enormous conformity uh, that's pressed upon members of Congress when they're in the majority. Um, the the power of the establishment to keep people in line is vast, but it's exceptionally important that they yet um, you have these kind of voices out in the wilderness that that say the true thing when every other force in dc is pushing them not to so i would never discount any of those people you listed as quote-unquote just social media stars i think that they are fundamental to the policy process in a direction that we would want um and they're going to be um even more influential i hope and i think um, when the republicans take back congress
0: yeah definitely given uh they'll be able to put pen to paper on a lot of Issues that the base is really talking about and saying we need to change, like um, that Ukraine bill, uh, multiple Ukraine bills have really shown that um, if they're able to voice enough opinion, that they're able to get things done. And having those fifty-seven Republicans vote against the forty-billion Ukraine spending deal, I think is a very positive sign to see that development. And um, one final question I have before we wrap up is. With the America First movement now in full force, now with the MAGA agenda being the mainstream, do you think that encourages uh, more people to really, should a, another MAGA president come in, whether that be President Trump or even beyond that, how do they keep the fight going? And how? What? what's your piece of advice to people who are getting into politics? I know that America Moment serves a great purpose of Giving connections, getting people into the into the into politics in the first place. What would you do? What would you tell somebody to really motivate them to really like run through the brick wall for the America First agenda and say this is the goal we need to fight for?
1: No one is coming to save you. In another life, I would have told people, you know, do some politics in college, go to the private sector, make a lot of money. The country will be fine. No, it won't. Uh, These decades ahead are the decades to sacrifice. Sacrifice comfort, treasure, and opportunities and anonymity in order to save the country that we all live in. Um, No one else is going to pick up a baton if you see it laying on the ground and you aren't willing to pick it up. Um, Ultimately, the left was able to do everything they did with very few people, very few resources, um, and just relentless drive to fundamentally change the fabric of this country. I think that America First can do the same. Uh, It'll take discipline, it'll take sacrifice, and it'll involve a short, medium, and long-term strategy that is anathema to self-aggrandizement and uh, short-term rewards. Um, But the reward will be in heaven knowing that you did something to create the material conditions where uh, people can be more virtuous and live decent lives. And that, um, a great experiment in the United States of America continues to endure in basically the same regime type that the founders envisioned. Um, that's the, that's the reward. And if it appeals to you and it probably will, cause you're a Georgetown kid, you at least have some interest in politics. It's, uh, It's everything, and um, you know, I I wouldn't. I would have a hard time asking people to make that sacrifice if I hadn't done it myself. Um, But I have. Uh, I'm here running a little nonprofit, trying to solve some problems in my slice of the world instead of being out in the private sector or law school or uh, you know, tech or something like that. And and I'm very okay with the decision I made. Um, And I'm I'm more than happy to talk everyone with me off the ledge um, to make the same decision because ultimately, um, there's not that many of us that have what it takes. And if most of those people say, no, no, I'm going to wait for someone else to do it. We have no movement. Um, so come join.
0: I couldn't say it any better. And uh, be sure to follow American Moment, follow Saurabh, Uh tell them. Uh, all the american moment socials to make sure that they do follow you
1: sure uh, american moment.org you can find information about all of our programs uh, fill out the mailing list there's lots of opportunities coming out we don't spam you with emails very often we promise um, you can follow american moment on social media usually it's am a-m-m-o-m-e-n-t-o-r-g, A-M-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-R-G. Uh, we are uh, our podcast moment of truth is published uh, weekly uh, usually uh, is an hour to an hour and a half long with a public policy expert member of Congress something like that as the main guest um, Where I think almost north of episode 60 um, ton of content that we're putting out um, you can find that on YouTube and rumble as well as anywhere podcasts are found uh, Apple podcast Spotify and so on and you can follow me personally at S Sharma US uh, for deranged ramblings uh, some American moment product pr- promotion uh, cocktail recipes, um, and, uh, and other uh, crazy stuff.
0: And thank you, Saurabh, so much for joining me here. I'm sure that a lot of our members will be gunning to join American Moment as I have, and I'll be definitely fighting tooth and nail to get them to join. But thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Very honored. And we hope to work together again soon.
1: Thank you, Ian. Uh, and thank you for all the great work that you're doing.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. And be sure to follow uh, the Georgetown Republicans on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, it's at GeorgetownCR on Twitter, and then at Georgetown Republicans on Instagram. But thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a great summer, great rest of your summer, wherever you are in the world or in the country. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day.